we do very much want Jesus to come, don't we? When we look in the, in the world and we see all this stuff going on around us, uh, shootings, seems like every month there's another one, or the political gridlock in Washington, or uh, the declining moral values, the, just the, it, it seems like every few weeks there's another country in civil war and terrorist attacks are all over. We just, come Jesus, come Lord Jesus, because we're ready for the, the pain and the sorrow to be washed away. And one day it all will be. One day he will come, restore everything, fulfill all of those prophecies. But for now we wait, and we wait for this year, just like we waited for the ball to drop uh, on New Year's Eve, we wait for Jesus to descend from the heavens, but, but we've got this year to deal with, and, uh, and dealing with all the things. By the way, I, I forgot to mention at the beginning the we didn't forget that Christmas is over. <laughs> there was a wedding here last night, and they, they asked if we could save the, the decorations for that. So we were happy to do that, and, and so much appreciate. Uh, that's, a, that's kind of the opposite end from Jim and Marie. It's right at the very beginning. This is day one for them, and we pray God's blessings on them. Uh, we're continuing. We're going to resume our series of studies through the book of Acts. I hope you have your Bibles with you. If you do, I'll invite you to turn to Acts. That's the, in the New Testament. That's the book after the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and then, and then Acts. Uh, we're, we started this back in, in September. By the way, while you're doing that, while you're looking, uh, turning to chapter 8 of the book of Acts, I want to tell you about some very special Bibles that we've got. Not, they're not special because the what they say is different than, uh, than yours. Uh, it's the NIV version. But uh, these, are, these are special. We had these specially printed with uh, some covers that, uh, that make them particularly suitable to give to people who, who don't have a Bible and who are trying to find Jesus Christ. There's our picture of the, the oak tree on the front and our logo on the back. And inside the front and back covers are messages uh, about inviting people into this journey toward Jesus and uh, welcoming, welcoming, welcoming them here and however we can help them. So if you, you see one of these laying around, uh, pick it up and look at it, but don't take it home with you unless you have somebody that doesn't have a Bible you want to give it to. We, we either, these are specially printed uh, for people who need a Bible, people don't, who don't have one. If you just would like to have another Bible, see me after service and I'll buy you one. I love buying people Bibles. But these are, if you want to take one of these to give someone, that's, that's great. But that's just one example of the, the things that we do as we engage with people in ministries, uh, various ministries that connect with our community, uh, like the ESL ministry began in the fall, uh, teaching uh, parents of children in our schools that, that English is not their native language and they... They're wanting to learn to speak it better. And many times we have the opportunity to not only help them with that, but to, to introduce them to the way of Christ. Uh, neat, neat thing. And that's what we're reading about in the book of Acts as we see Jesus being talked about, being witnessed to all through 
the, the area that they were in. We started that study back in, uh, in the beginning of September. Remember, we were down at the Performing Arts Center at the Allen High School. All got together in one service, and, and we started. We looked at chapter 1, where it all begins. And, and back in chapter 1 and verse 8, Jesus told his disciples, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and then to the ends of the earth. Now, up to this point, in the first seven chapters, everything that we've looked at in Acts basically is talking about them being his witnesses there in Jerusalem, kind of the city where it all started. And that alone has produced some pretty challenging outcomes. I mean, people have been arrested for doing that. People have been threatened for doing that. People have been placed on trial for doing that. And then finally, at the end of chapter 7, we saw it go to another level when Stephen was executed for doing nothing wrong other than teaching people about Jesus Christ. Now in chapter 8, we see things crank up even further. We're going to see this, this message about Jesus go up a couple of notches as it doesn't just stay in Jerusalem. It not only goes to Samaria, it starts going to the ends of the earth. Chapter 7 ended with Stephen being stoned and Saul, the chief prosecutor of the disciples, sitting, looking on, and gloating. Well, in chapter 8, he continues his murderous attacks. And so the disciples began to to move out from Jerusalem. Look at verse 4 of chapter 8. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. And Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Christ there. Now, that is a real easy thing to just kind of glance at and skip on by. Okay, so he went to a little different part of the country. What's the big deal, right? But if you understand what's behind that, you understand it's huge. This is an amazing thing to happen. You you see, back in John chapter 4 and verse 9, that John had told us when when Jesus was, was engaging with a woman in Samaria, he said Jews in those days wouldn't be caught dead talking to Samaritans. They didn't have anything to do with each other. There was, a, there was an animosity and a hostility and a hatred between the Jewish people and the Samaritan people that, that well, it, it makes the feud between the Hatfields and McCoys look downright hospitable by comparison. You see, centuries earlier, when the, when the Jewish people were conquered by an invading nation, they, they took captive and carted off to another country the best of the people there, the the leaders and the the artisans and the craftsmen, the, the people that really had things that they felt like they could use. And they left the rest of the Jewish people there. But they also left there some of their own nationals, some of their own countrymen. And over the years and over the generations, they began to to marry each other. Well, years later, when the Jewish people were were allowed to return to their homeland, these people that had been very careful to just stay Jewish came back and they found all these people that had intermarried with other nations. And they viewed that as, they viewed those people not only as half-breeds, but as traitors to the faith of God, traitors to their whole tradition. And, and, and they absolutely detested those people for what they had done. And, and they made no secret of it. 
So you can only imagine how the Samaritans felt about the Jewish people after being treated that way. There was just, just horrible hostility. It was absolutely brutal what they, what they did to each other. I mean, they, they, they hated each other so much that if a Jewish person was going to go from Judea down in the southern part of the nation up to Galilee in the northern part, instead of just going straight up, which was the, the obvious reasonable way to go, they would go all the way around almost doubling the trip just so they wouldn't have to set foot on Samaritan soil. It'd be like going from here to Arizona without going through New Mexico. You know, we're going to go all the way around because we, we just don't want to go there. Well, Jesus, of course, didn't play by those rules. Jesus not only went to Samaria, he, he made a point to engage people there in, in conversation. So it, it should really come as no surprise to us that Philip, a follower of Jesus, following in his footsteps, is going to go to Samaria, even though that was anathema, that was taboo to people in his country. Now, what happens in Samaria when he goes there and he starts telling people about Jesus is a very interesting story. Actually, there's a couple of very interesting stories about what goes on in Samaria in the first half of chapter 8. We don't, but for the sake of time, we're just going to go by those and we're going to go down to the story that happened at the end of chapter 8, in verse 26, that Blake just read for us a few minutes ago. In fact, if we start in verse 27, it, it gives us a picture of something that's really important for us today. <clears throat> he started out, and on his way, he's talking about Philip, on his way he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians. In that one short sentence, Luke paints a picture that shows a radical contrast between two people. Philip was a light-skinned man from Judea. The Ethiopian was a dark-skinned man from Africa. Philip has fled Jerusalem in fear of his life. The Ethiopian is going back to his homeland to his high government position where he's one in authority. Philip, as far as we can tell, has no means of travel other than on foot. The Ethiopian rides in a chariot of the royal court. Philip travels alone. In all likelihood, the Ethiopian had an entourage with him. You, you don't get to that level and go alone. Ethiopian has the ear of the queen of his nation. Philip has nothing but the scorn of anyone in authority. Uh, Philip can trace his ancestry all the way back to Abraham. The Ethiopian obviously wasn't able to do that. Not only that, we're going to find out later in Acts, Philip has four daughters. Ethiopian as a eunuch not only has no children, he has no hope of ever having children of his own, or for that matter, even a wife. It's hard to imagine two people more different than these two people. But in spite of all of that, when the Spirit directs Philip to go up and witness to the man in the chariot, 
He does. It's important to note, I think, here uh, what it says that he started right where the guy was. You know, so many times we want to start someplace else when we connect with people, when we engage with people that, that are receptive to hearing about Jesus. But we want to start someplace else. We don't pay attention to where they are right now. We, we need to do what Philip did and take them right where they are and then lead them to Jesus. Tell them about Jesus. Do you see what, what he knows or doesn't know? Uh, what, he, what he understands, whether he understands anything, isn't really important. What's important is he's willing to listen. And so Philip tar- starts to explain it to him. And it doesn't take long until this guy starts to get excited about this. I mean, it just, it really touches his heart what God has done. And then, as we find in so many, so many instances here in the New Testament, as people hear about Jesus... He wants to belong to Jesus. And and Philip has obviously told him about baptism. And so in verse 36, we we read, as they traveled along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, look, here's water. Why shouldn't I be baptized? Now, we want want to hit the pause button right here, folks. That's a question that, as I've heard people teach about this passage, about this part of the scripture, is it's almost skipped over. Or if it's not skipped over, we, we look at it and we kind of leverage that question to talk about how important baptism is. And folks, it is. It is absolutely essential. It's what God calls us to do as a faith response as we commit our lives to Jesus Christ. But I really don't think that's the main significance of this question. The truth is, this is one of the most important questions in the entire Bible because the answer to this question is going to make a crucial difference in whether the vision Jesus had for his church of Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the ends of the earth, whether that is going to be realized or not. Whether whether this faith that people have in Jesus Christ is going to stay as a part of just this tiny Jewish nation or whether it's going to be for the whole world. You see, we really need to take a moment to stop and, sig- and consider how significant this is. The truth is, there were any number of things that Philip could have said, well, that's probably a reason you're not ready to do that yet. There were a lot of barriers that people had created, race, class, native language, position, power, heritage, even manhood or lack thereof. And all those can cause people real problems as far as accepting others who aren't like them. And Philip, after all, is human. He is not immune to the perspectives and prejudices that we tend to fall into. What if he had responded at that time in the way that people are kinda, kinda, kinda tend to respond today? What if when the, when the, the Ethiopian had said, hey, why, why can't I be baptized? What if Philip said, well, you know, see, the, the deal is Jesus came for a holy people. He wants us to be holy. And man, as far as I can tell from looking at your life, you got a long ways to go, guy. 
You know, you need to get, you need to kind of get your house in order. You need to leave a few things off. You need to, and, and then let's talk about that. Thank God Philip didn't do that. Thank God Philip recognized none of those really matter when it, when it comes to who can belong to Jesus. There's only one prerequisite to being born again, being united with Jesus in the waters of baptism, united with his death and raised up to walk in, in a new life. And Philip explains what that is in verse 37. You can, Philip answered, if you believe with all your heart. And the eunuch replied, I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. And folks, that's still the only requirement to being united with Jesus Christ. That's the only thing necessary before somebody's ready to be baptized is believing that Jesus Christ is the Son of God who died on the cross for all my sins. To be a a follower of Jesus, you, you don't have to pass a Bible test. You don't have to answer somebody's questions about all the things that churches do and how we do them and what we do and all that. You don't have to get all that down. You don't have to come from a particular orientation or a particular philosophy or or a particularly religious heritage. You don't have to do any of that stuff. You don't have to be from, from a certain race or class or creed or any of that junk. You have to believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And when he did, when he confessed that, Philip went down into the water with him. And he was baptized, giving his life to Jesus Christ. Now, here's the question. What difference would it make for us if we would treat people the way Philip treated this guy? How would it change the way we engage people who aren't followers of Jesus today? What is it that we need to get over? What is it that we struggle with? to accept as someone who God wants to become one of his children connects with us. Somebody with a different skin color. Somebody from another country who who tries to speak English, but we really have a hard time understanding them. Someone who is obviously out of our league socially, or with as far as political connectedness is concerned. Maybe it's a person who's been very religious but comes from a very different place and experience than you've been. Or maybe it's somebody that wrestles with gender identity issues. Every single one of those, Philip could have said, okay, that's the deal breaker. Can't get past that. But none of those were issues for Philip teaching this man about Jesus. And because he didn't let those barriers stop him, this man not only came to faith in Christ, he became the very first missionary for Jesus outside 
of Judea. Very first one to go to a foreign country and tell people about Jesus because you can bet he did. Isn't it amazing to see how God works to accomplish his purposes and get us over those barriers that we wrestle with? So if we're going to be the church today where God works in the way he did then, which is what we believe, that what God did back then, he's going to do here today. I think the question we need to deal with is what are the barriers we need to get past? What are the roadblocks we need to get over? And how do we go about doing that? Well, I don't have a formula that's going to solve every problem in every situation. But I think, I think we can see a picture of what that might look like. Uh, something happened at uh, Faith Christian High School one Friday evening this fall over in Grapevine here in the Metroplex where I think some people understood a little something about what Philip wrestled with. You see, Faith Christian was going to play Gainesville State School. And they were going to play it at, at Faith Christian's stadium because, well, Gainesville doesn't have a stadium or even a football field. Gainesville State School is a, is a correctional facility for young men who have gotten into some real serious crimes and been convicted. <clears throat> they, uh, they played all their games as away games. They enjoyed playing the game, but they didn't enjoy many of the other things that most high school kids enjoy about football. They didn't have any, uh, any cheerleaders. They didn't have any pep rallies. They didn't have, they didn't have anybody come and watch the games. Uh, well, any fans anyway, unless you want to consider the the uniformed guards that accompanied them to each game as fans. And they had lost all eight games. They were shut out, 0-8. What's more significant than that, though, is the way they were shut out by people. They were shunned and they were excluded. And they felt very, very alone. Watch this video clip of Channel 5 just comes that constant reminder of who they are and what they've done. They don't treat us as a regular person in the world. They treat us like we're just some alien, just from somewhere out, just out of nowhere. I mean, they look at us like animals in a cage, like we don't deserve a second chance or another opportunity to be something in life. After hearing the ridicule and losing eight straight weeks, the tornadoes were once again on the road, traveling to play private school power great find faith for the first time, who had moved up a division. Their head coach, Chris Hogan, had a game plan in mind, and it had nothing to do with football. We were going to show them that in this country, if you make the right decisions, people will get on your side and support you, and it doesn't matter what your background is, you can make it. In a selfless suggestion, Coach Hogan sent out an email and requested his fans, his players, parents, do something so out of the ordinary in the football culture. He asked them to cheer for Gainesville State. These young men will not have any fans outside of the faculty from their own school. Their parents will not be there. I want some Lion fans to sit on the visitor side 
and cheer for the Gainesville team throughout the game. I thought, okay, this is, this is cool that Chris wants us to do this, leading up to it. But getting there that night, it was so easy to transition from being a fan for the Faith Lions to a fan for the Tornadoes. You know, the idea of, uh, of giving uh, and just being there to support those kids, those young men that have never had that before. So for the first time, the always-on-the-road Tornadoes would feel as if they were at home. And as kickoff approached, it was obvious something was different. It looked like they thought they were at the wrong end of the field because they know they don't have any fans. And we were just looking. I just looked. I just kept doing my plays. But I seen how they were split up, but I figured they just didn't have enough room on their side. I want y'all to line up in the line. They make, they're making a spirit line. I'm like, say what, Coach? <laughs> he said, can you beat that? And uh, he said, they're making a spirit line for y'all to run through. i like, yeah, that's what's up, sir. That's what's up. When it happened, it was just, it was dynamic. It was one of the most unbelievable things I'd ever seen. When I ran through this, like I felt like it was just like some like angels was on me. This all, this all I felt. Cause I was just running through it as fast as I can. I just feel the wind rushing my face. That feeling of being unleashed lasted throughout the game, and so did the cheers. We had a penalty like the third play of the game, and I heard booing behind me. I turned around, and it was the, the great man playing. I remember when I was making like a play, I made a chocolate, and people yelling my name. I'm like, I don't even know these people. <laughs> They were just like ours that night. I, I can remember rooting for their little quarterback, and I felt like he belonged to me. Our kids were their kids, and their kids were our kids, and all kids were the same. It wasn't enough to lead the Tornadoes to victory. As expected, Grapevine Faith won 33-14, and the Tornadoes finished the season 0-9. But it didn't matter, because for the first time in a long time, someone was in their corner, and that alone was worth celebrating. I was like, hey, y'all, this, this is going to get close, man. I don't care. I don't care if we lost tonight, man, because I was feeling good. I feel like we were in the Super Bowl championship game or something. Like, we won that. I mean, winning, like, in our heart, spiritual-wise, I mean, we won. I've, I've been in state championships of different kinds, and nothing was like this. Nothing. Isaiah and the rest of the Tornadoes will never forget the feelings they had on that night. And while it didn't erase the mistakes they've made, it showed 14 teenagers that regardless of the bad things they've done in their past, there was reason to look ahead. I cried. <laughs> when I, when, when after the game, I went back to my room, I cried. I think that your, your family ain't the only ones that love you. God ain't the only one that love you. Other people love you too. This is what I was hoping and praying would happen. I hope that it gave them hope. I see world in a different way now. I mean, I'll just see, like, I'm the victim no more. So much love because, you know, I came from a broken home family. So, I mean, having all that love, it just, just rose my spirits up. They got to be kids that night. They got to be a teenager and experience Friday Night Football in Texas. Who is it that you struggle to accept? Who is it that is a challenge to you to reach out to? Is it people with a criminal record like these guys? Is it the, the person with an abundance of body piercings and tattoos? Is it the panhandler on the street corner or the lady who lives in her car? 
Or maybe it's not the lady who lives on the street, but who works there. Or maybe you struggle more looking in the other direction. Maybe it's the people with the the fine houses and the fancy cars and the fat bank accounts. Or maybe with you, it's you really don't ever interact with any of those. But you really have a challenge to accept the card-carrying liberal activist. Wondering, what are they thinking? Or if, if you kind of resonate with that ideology, maybe it's the right-wing extremist. Who do you struggle with? Maybe it's the teen whose music is so loud and whose voice is so soft you can't hear anything they're saying. Or maybe it's the guy who only thinks about making the next buck or getting the next accomplishment. Or the lady who parties hard every night and goes home with a different person. Who are your Samaritans? Who do you instinctively recoil from? Like people typically do with the people from Gainesville State School or like the Jewish people did with their Samaritans. Whoever it may be, God, I think, in this story is calling us to get past our prejudices, to overcome our fears and approach people with open hands and open hearts. All of us have learned to distrust and avoid someone. Maybe we were taught to. Or maybe it's not just somebody teaching us, maybe because of our own painful experiences. We've learned to do that. But what God wants us to understand is until we open up and accept people, open our hands and our hearts to people, and they see us do that, they'll never be able to hear us and what we have to say about Jesus. May God help us to love people the way he loves us, not when we get it all together as if we ever do, but even right where we are. As Paul said in Romans 6 and verse 8, God shows his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Let's pray together. Father.